0: Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 449th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always. Wherever you are, however, you may be listening, I want to thank you for making me in this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Being recorded from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, per the new usual. Gonna have great pop for all you guys today. Gonna have Dan Pizzuta, writer and editor. For Sharp Analytics, we have a great conversation about football, the hierarchy of quarterbacks in the NFL, how football is becoming more analytical, uh, why people missed on a guy like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes in the draft process. So me and Dan have a great conversation. I really enjoyed having him on. Now before we get to that conversation, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you use Spotify. I have everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at night train underscore Lane. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. and You will find it. I post 35 five minute clips of this podcast right here as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. For some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now it's time for my monologues that my good friend Kenny Sim loves so very much. Kyrie Irving Ops in to his $37 million deal with the Brooklyn Nets. And the prevailing opinion is that the Nets dodged the bullet. Some may even say this is finally the organization standing up against the almighty NBA superstar who seems to get whatever they want. But in reality, here's what happened. The Nets get to pay a guy $37 million who we don't know if he likes basketball or not. And at the very least, Kyrie's behavior would lead one to believe that basketball is not the most important thing in his life. So they get to pay a guy $37 million who we don't know if he's all in on basketball, on his profession, the reason why they're paying him $37 million. The Nets get to pay a guy $37 million whose behavior is still erratic. Check him arguing back and forth with Stephen A. Smith on Twitter today. And they get to pay a guy $37 million who was the second best player on a team who got swept by the Boston Celtics in the first round. Four to zero. They get to keep a guy who said, we don't need a head coach. And apparently, per Stephen A. Smith on first take, take it for what you will, that same player had practices after the normal practice. Not a workout. But after Steve Nash would hold practices, he held his own practice. So they get to pay that guy $37 million. The biggest issue here is Kyrie is still Kyrie. Nothing really changes for the Nets, even though they avoided Kyrie Irving leaving the Brooklyn Nets high and dry for nothing. You know how when couples fight, they go to therapy, marriage counseling. You can have as much intervention as humanly possible But at the end of the day, if the behavior, the reason why you went to that therapy, that marriage counseling in the first place doesn't change, the relationship won't work. And both people, both parties could really want the relationship to work. But at the point of contention is, honey, I don't want you to smoke weed anymore. I don't want you to smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't want you to binge drink anymore. And then after work, you're hanging out with the guys, the fellas, the buds, the bros, And what you do is you light up a joint. That relationship won't work. And you and the missus can both really, really want to make it work. But at the end of the day, it won't work. So at the end of the day, at the end of next basketball season, next year, right? We're going to say the same thing about the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie's not going to change. The Nets situation isn't going to change. I haven't even mentioned Ben Simmons. You think he's going to change? He's been what he is since he was drafted in 2015. Folks, it's 2022. That's about seven, eight years. We're going to say, wow, the Brooklyn Nets, they're so talented. Wow, they all got hurt. Wow, if only they had chemistry. Wow, if only if it wasn't for all those distractions. We said it when it was just Kyrie and Kevin Durant. We said it when it was just Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. We said it last year when it was Kyrie, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and we'll say it next year, no matter who's on the team, if the main characters in the cast in the movie remain the same. So now I want to get to this. So Deshaun Watson will be having his uh, hearing with the NFL today. And I was thinking, right, organizations, they have values and mission statements, right? Colleges, jobs, sports teams, churches, they all have a mission statement that says the organization company's values. When I was at John Carroll, where I went to college, it was building men and women for others, the Jesuit way. These core values need to be upheld by every organization. The core values that that organization has decided that they want to uphold, that they want to put out to the masses, to the public. Only makes sense, right? But what's the point of having the core values if the employees, the people who work at the company? Don't follow them. Here are the NFL's values respect, integrity, responsibility to team, resiliency. Which one of those four core values has Deshaun Watson exhibited during this entire process? Respect? No. <laughs> integrity? No. Responsibility? No. Maybe resiliency, maybe. I'll give Deshaun this. He drew this process out for an entire year and he fought for his innocence. But that's three of the four core values that have still been compromised. People may say, well, Deshaun Watson wasn't found for doing any illegal behaviors in the eyes of the court. That is very true. It's not illegal to have sex, consensual sex, right? Definitely not illegal. Most Americans, most men and women, most people in the world participate in consensual sex. But if you're working at a job, at a company, and your sex tape with your wife comes out, probably going to hurt your standing in the company, right? There's a reason why people say, people who do work where they're posting a lot of nudes, uh, a lot lot of sexual behavior, right? It's hard to then get a quote-unquote regular job. That stuff matters with companies. Maybe you could argue it shouldn't, but it does, and that's just the fact of the matter. Deshaun, as he goes through this hearing, three of the four core values of the NFL didn't he didn't uphold. While he did nothing illegal in the court's eyes, there are things he did that are not a good look for the NFL. Like, it's not a good look when you're CEO of a company comes out with a sex tape with his wife and it gets posted all over all over the internet. It's not good. You probably might tell the CEO, how about you take a leave of absence for a few months? Let it die down. Deshaun Watson is screwed. And I think he's going to get suspended for an entire year. Now, coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Dan on the show. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, We're back with Barbershop Sports Talk And we have a very special guest with us Dan Pizzuta He's a writer and editor for Sharp Analytics How you doing, man? Uh,
1: I'm doing well, how are
0: you? I'm doing absolutely fabulous So the first thing I want to ask you is this How far behind or maybe ahead Do you think the NFL is with analytics As opposed to other sports like The NBA, Major League Baseball?
1: Uh. It's probably still, you know, a couple years behind. Um, I I think we're, you know, seeing it more. I think more and more, I think you look at, uh, uh, you know, Seth Walder of of ESPN. Uh, He puts out a a list every year of kind of like the official analytics staffs of, of NFL teams. And, you know, that list keeps... Getting bigger, you know. When he first started putting that list out, you know, a couple of years ago, there were some teams that had, you know, one or no people on it. Um, so we're seeing there's been a little more investment. Um, and then I think so you're getting to see that a little bit. We're starting to see a little more buy-in uh, from you know some of the things and how it can translate on the field, and especially you know we're seeing more stories with you know teams like the Rams who are you know really relying on it and, and things like how they're scouting. Um, And how they're doing the draft. So there's a lot of different ways you can, you know, look at it. Um, And there's still a very wide range just among NFL teams themselves of of who is really buying into it, who uses it really in their day to day, and who's just kind of a little far behind.
0: Which teams do you think are kind of like the most analytically driven in the NFL?
1: Oh, I'd uh, say the, the Rams are up there. Definitely uh, the Browns have been a a, a team that has absolutely um, been really uh, driven there. So the Eagles, uh, the, the Bills have been uh, doing um, a lot. I, I would say the, the Ravens also. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of teams like that that have really, I think, um, you know, the, the Chargers are, are a team that like used to not have an analytics staff at all, and I think we've kind of seen with the, the new regime. At least I, I wouldn't say they're like the most analytics friendly right now, but like they're a team that's that's definitely you know been building that up.
0: Yeah, and for example, like I think when people think of analytics, a lot of time times, the NFL, they think of like the whole new phenomenon of just consistently going for it on a fourth and short, right? Uh, but like, can you just give another explanation of like what other examples are they of like teams using analytics within the game?
1: I mean, I think there's a big emphasis on that because, like, that's the part we can see, right? Um, but there's so much that goes on, you know, behind the scenes. But just even just on the field, you know, uh, you know, the the fourth downs are big, but uh, you know, passing more has been uh, a big part of that. Also, I think you're seeing like a lot of smart teams, you know, like like the Bills, uh, were just you know, the passing just right now is more. Efficient than running, and that's just been you know one of the the big things. I think we've looked at it, you know, play action usage, and you don't necessarily need a, a good running game. Those are those are things you can do on the field. And there's so much going on behind the scenes. You know, we kind of talked about uh, the Rams who have been using that in their you know drafting process, uh, and how they've been using some of the you know connections stats and GPS to be you know looking into. Um, you know, player really, like, on field speed more than a 40-time. And there's things like that that are all kind of happening uh, behind the scenes that we don't really get to see that a a lot of the teams that are really bought into the analytics, like, that's really where they're making the most strides.
0: What would you say to people who say, like, because I feel like there's maybe the hardcore football person that's like, you need to run the ball in between the tackles, you need the balance, but then you see teams like the Chiefs. The Bills, they literally play their entire offense through the passing game. What would you say to people, though, who say that you need balance because when you have balance, it takes less pressure off your quarterback and you want to make it more easier for them? So I would say
1: in a way that's correct, but I think they, the ones who are saying, you know, you have to establish the run are probably just kind of viewing balance incorrectly and and balance is not going to be you know fifteen percent pass 50% run that that doesn't help anyone even if you are a, you know a really good running team uh but balance is kind of more like what are you doing to make the defense uncomfortable uh, and I think we are we are seeing that like can do you have the uh, ability to to throw short do you have a a deep part of your game that you can you know take advantage of what what kind of runs are you doing um, yeah I think we're seeing a lot of like when uh, the running game is really working you know you look at like some of the shanahan type of offense right things like the, the 49ers and it's almost like a, a quarter of the league is running this type of offense it's not so much that it's based on on running the ball well is that everything looks the same. So that's kind of the balance there. The play-action game and all that boot stuff, All, of, especially like the offensive line movement, that all looks the same as the run. So in defenses don't exactly know what they're doing. So that's kind of the balance, not necessarily like you should be running the ball like 50 because no teams are doing that it's you know 60 40 uh pass run is about average now and i think we're seeing a lot of the better teams in the league are, are going you know well uh, above that uh, so that's the kind of balance you're looking for not necessarily like a straight up run pass play
0: yeah and it's also interesting too because when you say that i think of like uh the, the new england patriots when tom brady was there and they wouldn't Uh, They would do a lot of screen passes, right? And you can argue like a screen, it's almost the same thing as a run because, you know, hits the running back, hits the receiver at the clock, still keeps going just like when you run the ball. A high percentage throw, it's not a really difficult percentage throw, but it kind of accomplishes the same thing. Stops defensive linemen for getting upfield, it freezes the linebackers, it kind of emulates the run a little bit, It's just a different way of going about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many different ways, and I think when you look at like oh, a lot of like not even just screens, but the short passes. I think we're we're seeing a, a lot of that. We're seeing some of those, you know, the West Coast type of um, offenses that are yeah, those passing concepts are getting blended with some of the you know the Shanahan run schemes and, and the boot action. So we're seeing you know so many passes are thrown you know within at uh, ten yards of, of the line of scrimmage, and those are usually you know very highly um, likely to be completed so it's still it's doing the, the same type of things uh like you said so it's not necessarily uh you have to you know be you know running up the middle and gaining three yards on first down we kind of know like that that's in the long run hurting your offense uh to be doing that so i think uh, the smarter teams are figuring out ways to get the same type of impact but doing it in a more efficient way
0: yeah, and you'll even see, like, the Titans, that's the team I think of when you think of, like, really running the ball through Derrick Henry. Like, Derrick Henry's not even on the field a lot of the time for third downs, which is, I, I think, personally, it's crazy. I think they should have him on third down, but he's not on the field on third down. So it's, like, literally the most important down, like, quote-unquote, the fulcrum of your offense isn't even on the field.
1: Right, yeah, when, when you have, you know, a guy like that, and you're so run-heavy uh, on first and second down. But really, you know, when you kind of dive into what made those types of plays... Uh, you know really efficient is they were so good you know on play action having you know some of those in breakers and that's kind of why that offense was able to sustain uh so much and they were able to keep the ball the games close uh because they were uh you know passing the ball at an incredibly uh, efficient rate and i think we kind of saw that started to fall apart a little bit when the passing game wasn't as good last year that offense also uh, was not as good um and then you kind of had you know some of those you know derrick henry kid breaker, you know uh, 60 yarder weight um, in the game. And that's kind of how those games were, were broken open. But it wasn't necessarily because they were really good running the ball on first and second down early in the game.
0: What's a trend do you think we're going to see more of from NFL teams in like the next four to five years? Well, I think we're we're starting to see now
1: a, a lot of the way defenses are, are trying to uh, you know counter. Of what we're seeing with a lot of these kind of, you know, the the play action and the the boot systems, and we're we're starting to see, you know, more more too high safeties, and I think we're going to continue to see that it's sort of like a uh, base defense, but not necessarily like I think when, when people have heard like they're playing too high like it's, you know, in old like cover two, like uh, you know, the the old like a Buccaneers would do, but that's not necessarily the case. Um but we're seeing teams, you know, you start in that too high shell, uh you're able to uh, rotate the safeties and sometimes you're you're still playing some, you know, single high safety coverages. Um but we're we're seeing that I think we might see some three safety packages Uh, A little more, and I think it just kind of has, you know, that versatility. Because, you know, like we said, um, you know, so many of these offenses now, all of these explosive plays happening down the field, and I think we just kind of see – um, some of these you know, two safety looks are really built to stop at when we've seen the past couple of really good defenses. The Rams in 2020 were uh, one of the best games in just stopping passes from even being thrown 20 yards uh, past the line of scrimmage. Uh, and the Bills were the same uh, case last year. They had the lowest rate of throws that were even attempted there, and then once they were attempted, they were barely being completed at like a 20% clip. So I think we're, we're starting to see that, and then you're, you're seeing it's able to allow teams to have different ways to fit the run, too. Um, And I think we're just kind of going to be seeing more of, you know, some of these safeties are going to be used in a much more versatile way. uh, That it's it's stopping the pass, but you still have, you know, that sound structure in the defense to stop the run. uh, And that's how we're going to, you know, counteract a lot of what we're seeing in in the offense, because the offense has, has really been kind of a step ahead the past couple of years. Uh, with, you know, that that Shanahan-McVay-type offense. But I think we're really starting to see defenses uh, kind of speed up how they've been able to counteract it.
0: What's something that you think is, like, let's say outdated in the NFL right now that we're going to start seeing less and less as the years go on?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's, the, the, run, the early down run game is probably, you know, always going to be uh, an answer for that into it. You know, it, it, because there's still going to be, you know, some some old school guys. I think uh, another one we've really started to see go away uh, is the, the, the goal line fade. Um, that's a, a play that, uh, along with, you know, in some of these, you know, first down runs is just one of the most ineffective uh, uh, plays you can run. And part of it is, you know, teams are thinking that when you're throwing it, uh, it's, it's, the the bad is like only going to be in incompletion, but they're completed so infrequently. Uh, I believe oh uh, last year about you know twenty percent of, of goal line fades were were completed, um, and I think teams are just finding you know more efficient ways to uh, you know throw the ball around the goal line. Um, and I think that's one of the places where uh, running is more effective uh, than passing. And I think teams are, are starting to to figure that out. I think uh, wide receiver screens uh, in the open field, too. Those are some of the most inefficient plays also. So I think we're, we're starting to see passes oh, a little more go to wide receivers, you know, uh, past the line of scrimmage there. Uh, even a running back or a tight end screen is, can be uh, more efficient uh, than some of these wide receiver screens. So I think there's uh, just kind of uh, little little pieces and little edges there uh, that it's if you take some of them out of your playbook. I think you're, you're giving yourself a
0: little bit of a benefit. So with that, and I want to you know focus on because you mentioned the run thing. We've kind of touched on that a little bit. So like a guy like Adrian Peterson, would he be a less efficient player if he played in the NFL during this time in his prime? Uh, I mean, there's probably always going to be some oh.
1: kinds of uh, exceptions. Uh, would he be getting, you know, the the number of carries he did in his prime? No, probably not. Um, you know, I think you still see a guy like, you know, Nick Chubb who's not necessarily, you know, the greatest pass catcher at running back and I think we're you know, when you have an ideal of what that position is, it's someone who can probably uh and make an impact in, in every facet of the game, but, you know, Chubb's not going to be, you know, the biggest pass catcher, uh, but he still has, you know, value. So uh, a talent like Peterson, it would not be, you know, in, you know, completely taken out of the game, but in the volume that he had probably would be, you know, taken, uh, taken down just a little bit.
0: Okay, so everybody, I think, agrees the most important position on the field is quarterback. After quarterback, I feel like wide receiver has started to uptick in importance. You see the Bengals with how Jamar Chase has kind of evolved their offense with Joe Burrow. Uh, You look at how guys like Devontae Adams are getting these humongous deals. Uh, Teams won A.J. Brown. Uh, How important do you think the star wide receivers, and do you think that has become the second most important position in football?
1: Yeah, it it probably depends on, you know, what your offense is is trying to be and exactly, like, what is going to be in place. But, yeah, I I think we've seen... how having that star has, you know, changed some teams. Uh, like you said, you know, the having a Jamar Chaser or a Justin Jefferson. Um, and, and I think it's really going to be interesting over the next, you know, couple years that we see, and we've, you know, start to see it a little bit, is how teams are trying to, you know, Replicate that because we've seen some teams that you know need that wide receiver. We've seen the, the Raiders; they traded for Adante Adams. We've seen the Dolphins; they traded for Tyree Kill. But on the other side of that, uh, we've seen the, the teams have tried to you know replace them a little bit. We'll, we'll see the Chiefs be a little more spread uh, between the receivers they have and not necessarily dominate by a number one a wide receiver. Probably going to see that uh, with the the Packers also, um, but then at, at the same time see like uh, you know the Titans trade away AJ Brown because they don't necessarily want to uh, invest in the position, but still use a, a first round pick on you know Traylon Burks. Um, so uh, I think we've also seen. Uh, rookie wide receivers um, because of, you know, just how much they have like been in, you know, a passing environment coming up from like seven on sevens and in high school and in college, it's so much more passing um, than it used to be. So we're seeing rookie rookie wide receivers when it used to be, you know, it would take maybe, you know, year two or year three before wide receivers, you know, would really blossom. We're seeing them, you know, have more of an impact um, in, in year one. But we're also, I think, maybe over-exaggerating how much, like, we've seen a star really emerge in year one. And I think some teams are trying to, like, take a swing and hope. Like, we've gotten one in each of the past, you know, three years. When you look at uh, Jefferson, you look at uh, Jamar Chase. and you look at, you know, A.J. Brown, like, we have gotten one star wide receiver, um, but I think teams might be taking, you know, too big of a swing here, trying to hope that they're going to get that star uh, in year one. I think, like, that's kind of, you know, the what the Titans are, are maybe doing right now. So there's going to be a very interesting balance um, in between seeing how some of these teams are are approaching the position of whether they want to pay it on that really big second contract, which now, you know, is completely ballooning at that top of the market um, or how willing they are to, you know, try to see um, whether they can get a rookie to, to step in right away and, and take that at a much cheaper deal.
0: So where would you put uh, as your second most valuable position? Where would you say, I know you said it's uh, differ for every team, but edge, would you say edge is still, I feel like most people would say is too.
1: Uh, I, I mean, I would still, I, it really, I think it, it's hard to say, you know, position just in, in general because, like, if you, if you have a guy like, you know, Miles Garrett who's going to just be, uh, you know, dominating whatever tackle he's, he's going against, um, you know, that's, that's a, a, a great player to have. I think edge in general is tough because of how quickly, you know, passes are getting out now, and that's kind of what we were, were talking about earlier. About how you know some of these short passes and quick passes, it kind of can eliminate the edge rush a a little bit, Um, just because you know there's there's not enough time to to get pressure just logistically. Um, So I I think you know if I was you know putting together a team, I would probably still have you know wide receiver. I, and maybe just kind of as a collective group, I would like to have a very strong wide receiver core. Maybe not necessarily like a, a elite wide receiver one, and then a couple of other guys but I would try to you know put together uh, a more well rounded, um, but still you know above average um, team there uh, at the position. So I would think I would still say you know wide receiver. Just the, the way the game is built right now, uh, it probably would be two.
0: So I also want to talk to you about this when we talk about positional value because I think it's interesting. And I remember a few years ago, there was an argument like, who's the best player in football? And a lot of people would say Aaron Donald. Now, obviously, Aaron Donald, he's going to be one of the greatest players to ever play the game. But there's also people who are like, Patrick Mahomes, he's a quarterback, he can do so many things. Where do you stand on that versus value versus actually being better at your position? Yeah,
1: I mean, that's that, that's a thing where it's always going to – there's always going to be you know some uh, kind of debate there and then obviously you know n- no one is going to um, <laughs> you know uh, not want uh, to have Aaron Donald on their team like when you you know, kind of like put the what one player can do I think obviously like quarterback uh, is going to be obviously the the top there uh, but you know Donald is just such a you know incredible, um, you know, singular force, uh, at what he can do, but I think you kind of saw, you know, when in during you know those past couple years, the, the pre Stafford years, uh, with, with the Rams, like, there's only so much, uh, you can do even if you have like a, a completely dominant, um, you know, defensive player like that. So, uh, yeah, I and mean, obviously, like, it's probably, you know, semantics once you get into like. It does like Derek Carr or Aaron Donald make a bigger impact. You know, I, it, I, I would like to say Donald there, maybe in reality, it still is, you know, someone like Carr, but like, that's kind of, you know, the reason why if, if you don't have a quarterback, you kind of are searching for that. But like, I think we can say like Aaron Donald is probably singularly, you know, with Mahomes probably up there as like the, the most talented and most dominant at their positions.
0: So, how far do we have to get uh, in the quarterback hierarchy before we start getting to a position player being quote unquote more valuable than a quarterback?
1: I I mean, that's probably, it depends on where you're kind of drawing a line. Like 15? Um, yeah, maybe uh, you could probably like even uh, maybe make a case like uh, around the the top ten of of how you know good Donald is, and I think I think we're we're seeing that like with his you know past contract, um, you know he's you know getting the, the up there in, you know in the thirty million dollars a year. So I think you can you know, just maybe the contractually look at that and see the the number of quarterbacks that were making uh, thirty million, um, you know I. I and if, if it's not like a completely game-changing quarterback, I think, yeah, I would probably, you know, take Donald and then maybe figure out um, a quarterback later, you know, if you're starting a team from scratch, uh, if that's how you, you know, want to view it, I think Donald would maybe be up there around, you know, after maybe they're around the top 10 quarterbacks, um, you know, and maybe, if not higher, if you were, you know, trying to to put it together that way. I mean, you can just have a player who's just, you know, so good um, at what he does, and it's been so dominant for, for so long.
0: So, you know, obviously quarterback, like we say, is the most important position, but I, I've always been in the mindset, I feel like everybody's always like, you need an elite quarterback, and I agree, like having an elite quarterback, it clearly makes things easier. Like when you have Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or one of these guys, like it clearly makes things easier, but... How far would you say you have to go down the quarterback hierarchy to where it's like, okay, like this is a functional guy who can just run our offense, the other team is built right, we have the right coach, we have the right structure, and we can still win?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's it's interesting because there like hasn't really been a, a middle tier of, especially like quarterback contracts given out. It, it's usually if, if you were above a certain line, like you were getting, um, you know, a... Uh, Near top of the market deal, but I think now with some of these, you know, new uh, contracts that that we've you know seen given out to to Rogers and and Mahomes and, and Allen, we might be seeing you know more of a of a middle tier, and I think like that's where you're gonna you know be getting like the you know the the Ryan Tannehills and, and the Jimmy Garoppolo's, those guys like who can you know play well when when everything is is good in structure might not give you exactly what you need. Out of structure, uh, they might not be able to create so much uh, on their own. Uh, So you know, that's that's probably a line where, like, if you're you know around the you know 14th, 15th guy, uh, I think we're you know starting to see that where you you can you can build around. Um, you know that type of guy especially with when we're you know seeing some of these uh types of some offenses uh, around the league like you can you know, we can clearly see um you can build something around a like a, a baker mayfield um are you expecting a baker mayfield to uh, be the reason that the offense is functioning um and the reason why your team is winning at this point no probably <laughs> not um so i think we're you know the kind of Around you know that that mid tier area is probably you know when you got the guys like the the cousins and the, and the and the Tannehills and the Mayfields like those those you know play action guys where when everything's going well um you can you can have a functional offense though, with them and that's probably that that type of range in the middle tier.
0: Could you ever see teams right? Because everybody talks about how it's a killer when you give these quarterbacks these big deals. Could you see a team after their QB? The, the rookie contract runs out before that they trade them for uh, a bunch of draft capital capital try to flesh out the roster and try to find that next young qb and just keep that cycle going to avoid a uh, kind of the brack the back breaking uh big qb contract
1: yeah i mean that's that's always been you know it's something that's kind of floated around in, in theory and i think at this point we've kind of seen that it's uh, you know, you, you do it a little late because we kind of, we've seen it with, uh, you know, Jared Goff, we saw it with Carson Wentz but both of those guys got the contracts um, and then were moved. Um, I think you. Uh, and struggling. In a way, <laughs> Yes, and I think in a way, maybe like with what Tennessee is doing right now, where like they're in a position where they probably could have extended or restructured Ryan Tannehill, but they're giving themselves an out after twenty twenty two, and it's a fairly easy, clean break contractually. Uh, they drafted Malik Willis in the third round, and you know you're you're never. Yeah, i'm gonna ask a third round pick to, to come in and be your quarterback of the future but i think uh we kind of see them they have like they have a, a pivot point where if things don't work out there they could go that way so i think we'll, we'll probably see more of that type of, of move um and then i think otherwise you're going to see yourself in you know uh yeah, kind of the bridge situation, right? Where like the, the Steelers have a, a Mitchell Trubisky uh, in order to you know get to uh, Kenny Pickett. Uh, I think we've seen some stuff like that, but I think we have seen now, especially with um, with that fifth year option guaranteed, um, you know, which you know was was not the case before the this latest CBA. Um, so when you and it's automatically guaranteed, I, I think we will see like a you know a Daniel Jones situation with the Giants. Um, where you know it's been three years, there has not been a lot of good football, um, and they showed nothing that would make them want to guarantee uh, that that fifty-year option. And I think like we've seen that with you know uh, the Browns not being able to move Baker Mayfield with uh, how much of a disaster Sam Donald uh, has been for the Panthers because that fifty-year option was uh, picked up after the trade. I think that's going to have teams you know move on. Uh, a, a little quicker uh, than they than they would have. So like we will have a, a situation like with the Daniel Jones right now. Well, he's to get that fourth year to, to be a starter, um, but the teams are going to be uh, very hesitant to to commit uh, before you know you you really show. Um, you know, a little more uh, on the field of something that is worth that second contract, so I think in in that way, we we will see uh, teams move on maybe a little faster, uh, and not necessarily, you know, talk themselves into the guy to, to, like, prove themselves that they were right.
0: Yeah, and I always feel like guys like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, like, I I feel like those guys are always going to stay, because I do feel like at the end of the day, there is something to being kind of like that franchise icon, like, People in Kansas City are always going to love Patrick Mahomes. Like he's like part of the fabric and part of the community. The same with like Josh Allen. And they're already so good. So I find it hard to believe like those guys. A team would ever be like, you know, well, let's see what we can get for Patrick Mahomes in his prime. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely going to be
1: a thing. Like when you have an elite quarterback, you're you're not. There's. I mean, obviously there there is a salary cap, so there is technically. Oh, oh, there is technically a limit to what you can pay uh, those guys, but um, you know, they're, they're the types of players, um, and I think we're going to see you know, Justin Herbert when that uh, contract comes up. It, you can uh, potentially see it uh, with Lamar Jackson. With what, like, you, you're going to pay those guys and figure out the rest of the cap and build around the team. Waiter, um, you know where, where you get into trouble with those contracts is you know when you are giving the the and the goths of the world you know the, those types of contracts too. Um, but if you have a, a, a homes or you have an Allen, like if you're paying them forty million dollars, forty five million dollars, fifty million dollars, like you're you're figuring out you you don't have a problem figuring out what you're doing with the rest of the roster around that um, because you already have uh, something that is going to certainly help you win so on the top side of these qb contracts um if you if you have a guy like that like the chargers aren't going to be trying to see what they can get for justin herbert because he's going to you know cost 40 million dollars a year in two years like that's not going to happen but what we'll see is is some of these guys who are maybe fringe um uh, fringe guys who were like in, in the first round that might have gotten their fifth year option picked up previously because it wasn't guaranteed the moment it was picked up. I think we're going to see those guys get moved on from uh, a little earlier.
0: So, what do you think defines the mark of an average QB?
1: Uh, I think it's kind of like what we what we were discussing with that, you know... I. I I think Kirk Cousins gets you know a little too much. He's probably, you know, an above average quarterback. I'd but I mean, agree. it's like it's it's that type of tier, right? It's it's those guys who when everything is going well, um and everything is built around, there's there's a good offensive line, there's a good offensive system. Um they'll they'll be and they won't cost you much, right? Um, and I, like Tannehill can be in in that range, you know. Uh, a Mayfield can can be in that range. Um, it, it's it's guys like that where if you're, you're setting them up for success, they are going to be able to do it. But they're not necessarily going to go above and beyond that. And I think like those are, are some of the um, and those are some of the quarterbacks that I think you know you can kind of consider. At average, and maybe you know, you would look at them at above average because you know offensive coaches are better at getting you know good play out of some of those quarterbacks. But when you kind of look at you know what they're what they're doing outside of structure, and I think like that's what we're showing at least like what the, the great quarterbacks are doing. Right, they can all create outside of structure. They can they can give you something that the offense isn't necessarily giving them the answer to. Like, they're creating the answer. Um, and I think, like, that's kind of where, where the line is between the, the really good quarterbacks that you're, you're seeing really succeed uh, and the guys you kind of have to just scheme around a little bit.
0: So how many truly elite QBs do you think we have in the league? <sighs>
1: um, let's see. I mean, it, I guess you know it depends on how you you know define elite. But uh, if there's guys you know that you want to, you would build around without hesitation. Um, you know, right now I'd say I'm just looking at quarterbacks. See Rogers, Mahomes, Allen. I'd, I'd put this version of Stafford up there. Uh, Dak Wilson. Uh, you know, Burrow. Murray, I there's about you know nine or, Herbert. I'd say about you know nine or ten right now, and I think you know you're you're holding off on, um, you know rookies like like Trevor Lawrence. I think he's you know much better than what you know he, he showed, but you're obviously not going to put him uh, on that that type of tier yet. So uh, I'd say there's probably around like you know uh, ten guys who can right now like win you the game because they are their your quarterback.
0: Where do you put Brady in that spear? Because Brady's a guy who, when I think, if he doesn't necessarily extend the play, uh, but he runs kind of the offense for perfection, he's clutch, obviously, the Super Bowl. So where would you put Brady in that spear? Yeah, Brady is absolutely up there because
1: it's been really crazy what he's done since he's gone to Tampa because it's it's been, it was so different than what he was doing the past couple years. And Brady is kind of like a, a master of disguise in some ways because he's changed the way he played so many times throughout his career. But in Tampa over the past couple of years, it's been, um, he's getting the ball out quicker than he ever has, but he's still throwing downfield and doing it well. Um, so he has, you know, those high A-dot, Uh, type of throws that uh, really are are coming up with with valuable completions down the field but he's getting the ball out quickly and it's kind of just like, it's unlike anything we've really seen from from a quarterback who can get the ball out that quickly and still throw the ball deep, you know, when you look at guys who are are really doing that, it's like, you know it's, you know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are scrambling around a little bit and those plays are happening, you know three and a half seconds after the snap but Brady is, you know, getting the snap in like under two and a half seconds uh, is throwing the ball downfield um, and just the, the way he commands everything. Like he's he's still like there. There has not been a drop off uh, in his game. He's he's only really gotten better since he, he came to Tampa. Um, so he's he's absolutely still up there right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm always like, if you compare Brady specifically to like early Brady in the early 2000s, I'm like, this Brady's like twice as good as that Brady, <laughs> which is crazy because it's like like 15 years before and after. I always thought about Brady. I want your opinion about this. I feel like he gets uh, discredited a little bit because I think a lot of times people consider him a system guy. I don't think they realize how physically talented he is. And I'm always like, well, he's 6'4", 6'5". His arm, I think his arm is a lot better than people think. Now, I don't think it's crazy like Josh Allen or Mahomes or Rogers where these guys can run and throw lasers all over the field. But within the pocket, there's really not a throw he can't make. Uh, he's super smart he was throwing the ball in bad weather in New England for years we talk about arm talent right like throwing it in a blizzard in Foxborough is a lot different from throwing it in a dome in Indianapolis so you feel like Brady's physical ability gets really underrated yeah I think so
1: and I think he's one like obviously one of one of the smartest quarterbacks and I think you know there was a little hiccup when he started in Tampa. Um, and there were a couple of throws where he was, you know, throwing some interceptions. We necessarily didn't have the arm strength for like maybe some of those like intermediate outbreaking routes. Um, and there were, you know, a couple instances where some corners were, were jumping those. Um, but he's smart enough to know, okay, let's kick them out of the offense. I don't have the arm for that right now, um, so I'm not going to throw them anymore. And then they kind of, you know, restructured the offense a little bit. He has the arm and the accuracy uh, to throw some of those go routes. Um, so. So. No. Those have been more valuable. So, like, he has always been a master of, you know, knowing what he can and can't do, and you know, taking advantage of what he can do, and not, you know, forcing what he can't. Um, so, you know, when there are struggles on, on a throw like that, where maybe the arm strength just isn't quite there, um, he's just, you know, not going to make those throws anymore. And I think, like, that's what has definitely made him special, especially going into Tampa, uh, because it's just like it's so much of the, it built on what he can do uh, is so well. Um, and he's just, you know, so good at processing, obviously, you know, before and after the snap. Uh, so that's just, it's been a, a creation of, of that vertical game and, and what Brady can bring to an offense. Uh, and and what they've been doing in Tampa has been great.
0: And I think it's interesting to your point when you talk about, I feel like a lot of times, and I was talking to a friend about this and it was actually about the NBA and it was about like Steph Curry because the draft just happened it was, I was reading his scouting report and it was like all these crazy things. and It was like a lot of times I just feel like in sports in general, we focus on what players can't do, like their negative, the weaknesses, and we don't focus as much as what they can do, like the Steph Curry example, right? The handle, the greatest shooter ever, all this stuff, like with Brady, right? People can focus on, you know, what type of throws he can do, what he can't, but you need to focus on what he can do because nobody's going to build an offense about what with, with Tom can't do. They're going to do what he can do because your whole job as a coach and organization, it's to amplify what the player can do, like Lamar. You build an offense for what he can do. Patrick Mahomes, you build an offense for what he can do. So you think that gets lost a lot of the time where everybody's like, you know, this guy can't do this, this guy can't do this, where it's like, if this guy can do, like, four or five elite things, it's like, we're in business if we just minimize his weaknesses.
1: Yeah, I think, absolutely. And I think we're, you know, getting getting maybe to to a point the other way. And like you said, like, with Mahomes, you know, watching him attack this stack, he was just, if he, was, he was making all the, the bananas throws uh, that he was making. And I think a, a lot of people were just kind of looking at that and being like, that'll never work uh, in the NFL. But like, and they pointed to his interceptions, but he threw so often. He only had like a, a 1.7% interception rate uh, in college. Um, so he was still making, you know, those banana throws. And then I think we, you know, maybe, I think we kind of have to find a balance because then you look at someone like, you know, Jordan Love, um, who was you know looked at for you know having that arm, uh, but he, he was already in the process of where like he was trying those throws and they weren't necessarily working in college. Um, but there was you know a sense of you know he he's got the arm, so we can you know figure that out. So there has to be kind of a, a balance uh, there a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, when when you're looking at what uh, I think all of you know the, the best coaches and organizations are in the league right now are are finding what they what these players can do, uh, and kind of, you know, Belichick has, has really been, you know, the, the best at this, um, you know, bringing in guys, and I think it probably, you know, outside of the, the wide receiver position, uh, kind of bringing in guys, figuring out what they can do, and, and playing exactly to their strengths, and, and that's kind of all positions. That's kind of how he built a defense for, for years um, through uh, you know, a lot of the, those dynasty years. Um, so I think just yeah, in, in general, you're, you're seeing the, the best offenses and and kind of the best teams in the league are figuring out what these guys you know like, can do and figuring out how they can build around that, uh, especially in the early years, to, to make the transition to the NFL a little better. And I think like that's kind of how we we've seen offenses evolve, right? We're seeing like way more RPOs um, and stuff like that uh, in the league because it's helping the, some of these college guys um, as they come up uh, into the NFL. And then you're starting to see them, you know, transition and, and take, uh, take, you know, uh, bigger leaps um, as, as they, you know, get more comfortable, and they're not just, you know, thrown in, um, having to, you know, uh, do just a straight under center drop back like those; those don't exist anymore. Um, and I think that's kind of because we've seen how good a lot of guys, uh, you know, are from shotgun, and, and how much they can, um, you know, continue to, to develop there. So I think like we're, we're definitely starting to, to see that a little more.
0: Why do you think people missed on a guy like Josh Allen?
1: Well, Allen was was interesting because... And I think it was, you know, somewhat similar with, with Herbert oh, a little bit, where all of the, the physical talent well, was there. Obviously, you had, like, the rocket arm. Um, but it just... It, it didn't connect very often. And I think there was... Um, there there was a sense where like you weren't you wouldn't necessarily be able to make him more accurate and you know uh, a rocket arm that can go 70 yards doesn't really mean anything if those passes aren't going to be completed uh, but i think we've we've seen and and these guys have come into you know, better scenarios in the NFL, and Allen. You know, especially with the Brian Dable offense, it ended up being you know so open, um, where uh, a lot of these these physical traits were were able to be refined a little bit. Um, and, and even with that, I think we're just kind of seeing, you know, how much value can happen, like when those big plays do hit, and when you do have you know some of the that rocket arm a little bit. Like it, it just it takes away. Um, you know, it, it gives you a bigger margin for error uh, in some uh, cases. Like uh, I think when you, you know, even you know, bring it to like Matthew Stafford this past year. Like he was not the most accurate quarterback from from down to down, um, but he was able to make so many big plays and having big plays and deep. Uh, passes. like are continually on the table because he could make those throws, so you only have to you know, make uh, a couple of them, and I think it's the same thing with Patrick Mahomes. He's not necessarily like the, the most accurate down-to-down passer uh, in, in the league, um, but because of what he like and brings to the table and and the array of plays you can call because of what he's able to do physically, um, that that brings up uh, his value. So I think just the way we're we value some of these physical skills and how much these guys can open the offense just because of the physical talent that they have. Um I think that's kind of uh, something that has really been opening up like since the the Mahomes and the Allens uh, and now the Herberts. Um, That that we're seeing because you can just there's so many more options on the table um, with you know just what these guys have from their arm alone.
0: Where do you stand versus like somebody's peak versus just their variance? So for example, like to stay on QBs, let's say Aaron Rodgers, right? We could say down to down he was the best quarterback during last year, Uh, but the peak, the apex of guys like Mahomes. And Allen were higher. So where do you stand? Like, which one is better?
1: Yeah, that's that's a super interesting question because it it just depends. You just you can't have you no know, valley that that kills you, right? Um, and and it's interesting because I kind of wrote about this with with Matthew Stafford this past year when he had that stretch where you know he. Uh, he was kind of turning the ball over a little bit, but he had, you know, just the the peaks were were so good last year, and you saw it kind of. That's what can you know, spark a run uh, to uh, a Super Bowl win. Um, so he was kind of like he could be, you know, the poster boy for for this this question. Um, Josh Allen too. Like Allen was, I think, a little more inconsistent than a lot of people. Like I think we kind of had that recency bias of, of that last playoff game where he was just you know making every insane throw. Uh, but throughout the year, he was uh, really up and down. Probably uh, you know about the same. Um, if you look at like uh, you know EPA, he had the the same a uh, number of uh, negative EPA games as Stafford did and I think Stafford kind of got because they were you know in, in prime time or, or whatever got, got a little more heat for you know some of his low points uh, but I think when you like have you have the ability to have that peak you just can't have um, you know the, the valleys that are, are really going to cost you over a consistent time, and I think like that's kind of what, like a Carson Wentz, right? And I think you you see like the the more variants of that, like when when he's on, he can still be good, and numbers wise, he was he came out about fine. But his mistakes are so bad and so glaring and so costly um, that you know you, you really don't have a chance when when you're making um, that that type of. Those types of mistakes and then they really cost you. But then you have a guy like Stafford who you know can you know maybe throw an interception. On I forget the, the exact game, but I think he had like you know two or three interceptions, but still had like the second highest EPA uh, per dropback of that week, just because of the, the high points. So you just you have to have um, some of those you know high points that are they're going to be able to carry you um, if some of those mistakes are on the table.
0: Now. How much do we take into account, because you mentioned Stafford and Allen, how they kind of dropped at some points during the year, and obviously their high end's really good. How do you take into account the fact that they're asked to do more and asked to make higher difficulty of throws than, let's say, somebody like Kirk Cousins or Jared Goff or Derek Carr. They're asked to do more, so there can be more variance negatively when you're asked to do harder things as opposed to other people who are asked to do easier things.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think like we can, you know, stick on stacking because it's a perfect like there's a whole one to one comparison um, you know, between what the Jared Goff offense was in 2020 and what the Natty Stafford offense was uh in 2021. Like there there were only so many things the Rams could call because of some of the limitations Jared Goff had, right? They had maybe, you know, one or two schemed deep throws all game. Um, and if, uh, you know, Goff missed one, uh, then, then that was kind of it because they didn't really have it in their arsenal to, to make that a recurring thing in their offense. And with Stafford, um, you know, there were so many things that were just completely on the table, um, because of what his arm was was able to to bring to them, um, and you just saw just like uh their their average death of target just in general was was much higher. They had a, just like a, in a package, you know, at a, at a empty, um, you know, no with you know side wide that was just it was incredibly vertical and like more vertical than you know any other. team kind of had their empty package like it's because of what Stafford was able to bring so just the the ability alone of you know having those plays on the table is what uh, brings an offense so if he missed a, a deep throw early in the game it was okay because they still had the ability to go back to it and you were kind of confident that at least at some point it would hit um and that's just kind of like what those fundamental changes in some of those quarterback changes um were and really had an impact in 2021.
0: Who do you think is the best quarterback in the NFL right now?
1: I mean, I'd still say it's, it's Mahomes um, until you know proven otherwise. Uh, just the you know, what he's able to do just on his own, um, and, and I think like we just kind of, we kind of saw a, a shift in what happened, and like even through. How defenses like really were are starting to see a lot of these you know, too high because they're trying to stop the Chiefs. Like that's that was really you know the, the start of it. Um, I think it was going back to you know the twenty maybe like nineteen season opener. Uh, Houston was really the the team that started that. Um, it was a, a Thursday night. And Mahomes had like the, his lowest a dot and his um, his quickest average throw, and that's kind of when those those passes started. But he's been able to make those that offense to be, you know, among the most efficient uh, in the league. Um, even as, you know, we're not seeing some of the deeper throws and he's cut some of those down. But that's because he's, you know, still able to take what the defense is giving. Um, and he just has, you know, uh, the, the array of what you can do when you have a uh, Patrick Mahomes It's just, you know, I, I don't think anyone that comes close to that right now. So it's, it's still Mahomes to me.
0: So you don't think so? How how far would you say Josh Allen is? Cause I think a lot of people would say Josh Allen is second based off his performance in the postseason. How far do you think Josh is from Mahomes? Or do you think there's like a clear gap?
1: I, I, I would still say there, there's a, a bit of a, a gap there, um, just because I think Mahomes' consistency has been there. I think kind of how we, you know, talked about the Allen kind of having you know some of those down games. Um, you, know, you just you just don't get those from Mahomes. And obviously, like, the, the down games don't stop Allen from being a great quarterback. Uh, but if, if we're talking about who is, who is the best, like, I'm still taking Mahomes.
0: So when do you feel like, you know, maybe we never know, when uh, a young QB is good? Like, we can say this is a guy that we can build around.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, so there's been uh, a couple of studies that have kind of shown, uh, you, you kind of know by year two, um, if a guy hasn't taken a leap um, in some meaningful way um, in, in his second season, then you're, you're starting to, can get questions like the, the Josh Allen year three leap. Um, the guys who have done that, it's is basically limited to Josh Allen. Um, <laughs> so I think you, like, it, you Probably have some, you know, hints of it in a rookie season, um, and then you know you see like a you know a Justin Herbert you know, takes takes on in year two and and is great. Um, so I think you, you start to see it uh, a bit in, in year two, and if you're not seeing that, then um, it, the the odds um, that you become like one of the, the great quarterbacks uh, is probably you know much smaller.
0: So you would say guys like Trey Lance, Lawrence Wilson, they all get a year, another year to see before we know if they're hit or miss.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not ready to to write any of those guys off, especially like when you look at the the situation that like a, a Lawrence or a Fields um, were in, um, where just that there, there wasn't a lot around them to put them in, in the best situation uh, to perform. So obviously, you know, it's not ideal that you're going into year two with uh, having to learn a new offense, but I think for, for both of them, it's going to well, be more beneficial uh, than having consistency for consistency's sake. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, 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 like, they, even, they don't have to be, you know, top 10 quarterbacks uh, in, in year two. Uh, but I think if, if there's not, like, a, a leap where, you know, you see it start to click a little bit in year two, then that's when it starts to be a little more concerning.
0: So a guy like Tua, then, we know that Tua probably is what he is then, right?
1: Yeah, so... I'm really interested to see what he'll look like in this offense, but I think one of the other things is, you know, part of the the Tua discussion that's kind of you know been going on around you know the NFL Twitter, um, you know, when when you're comparing him to to Burrow and Herbert, obviously it's not going to look great, but for you know what he is, um, I think there were, there was also a lot going on in that. That offense, where I don't necessarily think um, the co-offensive coordinators uh, really had a great plan. Uh, I, there, there was so much to work around with, you know, the offensive line that was easily like the the worst in the league. So, you know, to it, it is fine, and and really for that offense was was unwatchable, like conceptually, but it was about average in efficiency, and I think that's because of you know something that that Tua was able to bring to the table where, you know, he doesn't have the, the biggest arm. Right? But I think in order to succeed like that, you have to have really good processing and really good accuracy. And I think that's something we have seen from Tua. Um, so I think there is, you know, um, uh, there, there is still some hope there. Like, it, if you're expecting Tua to be a top 10 quarterback, you, you, yeah, you can probably write off that as... Um, you know, what's in the the range of likely outcomes. Um, but I still think he can bring a lot to the table. So uh, I don't think 2021 was was quite as bad as some people are trying to make it out to be.
0: Dan, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. appreciate uh, you having me on.
0: And once again, I want to thank Dan for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The four hundred and forty ninth episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.